give our choir and worship team a big hand. Thank you for leading us this morning. Thank you for spending the Sundays, for spending the time, and uh, for leading and being a part of what we do here at Christmas at Mount Zion. So, Jesus came to bring. Jesus came to bring life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but they will have everlasting life. Yes, Jesus came to bring life. He came to bring life that rescues us from sin, that rescues us from separation from God, and Jesus Himself was that gift. But Jesus did not only come to bring life, but He came to be light. John chapter 8 verse 12 says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus said, I will give, be light. I will illuminate for you. He said, but much more important than that, he says, I am the light. He says, cling to me. I will light your path. I will um, fill your darkness with light. I will be for you so that you do not, do not have to walk alone. But you see, Jesus came to bring life. Jesus came to bring light. But Luke 4.18 says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus was quoting Isaiah 61.1. It says that when he walked in the room, he opened the scroll and he fulfilled the prophecy, prophecy when he said, I come to bring you liberty. You no longer have to be captive to sin. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6. We're going to talk about liberty today. The freedom that we have in Christ. Let's take our Bibles, Romans 6, and go to verse 6. When it says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, meaning everything that He just said about Christ, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, because you have died to sin, because you are now alive in Christ the Lord, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive 
from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do, not, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So Paul is expounding on this idea of freedom, of liberty, of what the life, the light, the liberty that we have in Christ. And he's having a conversation with the church at Rome. And in talking to them, he said, look, Christ was born. Christ lived. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. He died one time to defeat sin. He said, because that sin is defeated, he no longer has to keep dying because that one death was enough. He said, likewise, when you understand that Jesus is life and that Jesus brings light, you too can have the liberty to no longer be a slave to sin. You can be set free. Now, here's the problem. I know that in my head. I can understand it. I can comprehend it. I can dissect it from, a, from the standpoint of the English language. I can understand it from a theological standpoint. But when I go to live it in my life, there is a disconnect. Because that sin that I have been set free from is the sin that so easily entangles me on an everyday life. And so sin is dead. I am dead to sin. But sin is not dead to me. Do you understand the difference? I am dead to it. It no longer has to reign. But it lives, and because it lives, it can be like the little chihuahua that nips at my heels all the time and is always biting. And so therefore, Paul is telling us, you have died to sin. You do not have to have sin reign in your mortal body. But understand, it will keep knocking. And that's why he says, do not present yourself to sin. I was doing some reading this week and I came across an amazing illustration. From 1930 to 1956... Um, schools that now comprise most of the Southeastern Conference had boxing teams. And in LSU had a boxing team. They had a man named C.D. Blaylock. C.D. Blaylock was six foot six tall and full of muscle. And he was going to box a shorter young man from Mississippi State. They started the bout. Round one was going fantastic for Blaylock. He was just knocking and beating and doing everything you're supposed to do in a boxing match. He was certain that round two was going to be the end of the boxing match. And so he came out and he was ready. And at that moment that he believed that it was going to be the, the shot that knocked the other guy out, he reared back. And when he reared back to swing, the young man stepped in. When he stepped in, Blaylock's arm hooked around his head, and when it hooked around his head, his head became like a lever, and he came so far back around that he hit himself in the jaw, and he knocked himself out. He's the only man on record in the history of boxing that has ever won or lost by self-knockout. But let me tell you something. 
That's where we are with sin, okay? We get it. Sin is defeated. Sin, because of Christ, is the lesser opponent. And we come out and we get a little bit cocky and say, Oh, I've got this beat. This won't get me. This won't knock me out. And then all of a sudden, we go in for the kill punch in our arrogance. We overswing. We've got to stop knocking ourselves out. That's all it simply is meaning here. Why do we keep doing that? Paul says... That we are dead to sin. And we've got to make some choices that deliver us from sin. In fact, he says to us in verses 17, 18, and 22, which we did not read. It says, you have been set free from, Christ, from sin by Christ. If you have Christ living in you and you are living in Him, you have been freed from sin. You can win the battle of sin. The problem is too many Christians are losing the battle on a daily basis. Some are not even showing up for the war anymore because they've been defeated so much. Paul says, stand up. Paul says, fight, get ready, overcome because of what Christ has done. He says, because of what Christ has done, I want you to believe it. And because of what Christ has done, I want you to exercise the will that He gave you, the intestinal fortitude that He gave you to be an overcomer. So how do we do that? Let's look at our outline. First of all, we receive victory with our minds. Go back with me to verses 6 through 8. He says this, knowing this, knowing is mental assent. Knowing is accepting the fact that it happened. He says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. Why was our old man crucified? So that the body of sin might be done away with. There is forgiveness of sin through the shedding of blood. The sacrifice. He says that knowing that he was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Three times in verses 6 through 7, Paul talks about something we have to know. Paul's readers obviously have not learned the truth, or if they knew the truth, they were not quite ready to apply the truth. Because Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You cannot do what is right until you know what is right to do. What you don't know cannot only hurt you, they could also kill you. So we go back again. For we know that our old self, that's one thing. We know that our old self was crucified. We have to know that when we accept Christ into our heart, that the old man is dead. In fact, he says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. You're not just revamped. You're not just remodeled. You are recreated. You're recreated with the DNA of Christ in you and you're able to overcome the power and the pull of sin. He says that your old self was crucified. But not only does he say that, he says that, that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free. So see, we are dead to sin, we're free from sin, and we have a new nature that is inside of us. Paul tells us we are free. Paul tells us that we are freed by the death of Christ. We're 
freed by accepting and identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection. We are told that the old self, the person that we were before Christ, our old sinful nature, was crucified. This is such a big truth, guys. I don't want you to miss it. You've got to get it into your mind that when Jesus died on the cross, He not only died for me, but by accepting Him, I died with Him. The vicarious birth. He died in my place. He did what I could not do for myself. And He died. And He shed perfect blood so that imperfect us could be made whole in the body of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, we died with Him. We've heard many times that when Jesus died, He paid for our sins, and that's true. But Jesus not only paid the penalty for our sins, but He paid to break the power of sin that's over you. You see, penalty gets you in the game. Power gives you the ability to live the game victoriously. And Jesus didn't die just so you could go to heaven. Jesus died so that you could have fellowship with God right now. He didn't come to save us just to save us from hell. He came to save us from sin. Sin is a bully. Sin is something that's relentless. Sin will tell you you can't beat me. Sin will tell you you can't whip me. Sin may tell you that you might as well give in. You might as well give up. But when you give your life to Jesus, sin becomes all talk. No bite. No power. Because of the one that lives inside of us, it is defeated. He goes on to say in Romans 6, 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Jesus died for our sins. But He rose again to show us that He had power over sin. My dad used to ask me before I'd leave the house or was going to be away from them for a while, he would ask me, he would say, who are you and who do you belong to? And the answer he wanted me to say is that I am a Reynolds. And who do I belong to? I belong to Christ. And then I would give him that answer. I would say, I'm Chris Reynolds. And he would say, who do you belong to? And I'd say, I belong to Christ. And he would say, now go live like that. You see, this morning, who are you? You have a name. You're a person. You're an individual. The Scripture says, not by accident, fearfully and wonderfully made, with a plan and a purpose and a future and a hope, all to bring glory to God. So who are you? You are the individual that God created. And who do you belong to? You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ because He bought you with a price, His blood on the cross at Calvary. And when He bought you, He instilled in you a nature of victory, a nature of power, a nature to overcome. You're no longer defeated, but you're a conqueror in Christ. It goes back to that idea in Genesis chapter 3. Sin wants to cause us to doubt, to, have, to be deceived, to make a decision that leads to our demise. 
We need a new way of thinking. We need a new way of thinking that says that, that I have been made alive. That I have victory. And that I can overcome. And that the victory that I need is in this playbook. Given to us by God. You see, if we're going to have victory over sin, we've got to believe that that victory is there in our minds. But we also have to, I'm talking about receive the victory in our minds. We have to believe victory in our hearts. Go back with me to verse 11 where it says this. Likewise you also. Likewise you also reckon. Likewise you also consider. Likewise you also count. Likewise, you also deposit. You could take any number of words there and fill them in. But likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ our Lord. Paul has already told us what we need to know in our minds, but it's not enough just to know in your mind. You have to believe in your heart. That word reckon, it's an accounting term. It means to add credit to or to balance. It means to make the deposit of. You see, I could write everybody in this room a check for $500. I could write it, I could sign it, I could hand it to you, and you could believe that it is a check of $500. And you could walk around with it and you would have $500 in a check. That's right. Because you go, cash it. Mm. But listen to me. It becomes reckoned to you when you take what I handed you and you go deposit it into the bank. You see, that's the difference between the idea of receiving information and believing information. When you believe it, you act on it. And Paul is saying, likewise, act on the fact that you've been made dead to sin and alive in Christ. Deposit victory into your account. Deposit overcoming into your account. Deposit the ability to walk away from habits into your account. He's told us what we need to know. We, tr we stumble, we trip when we don't really practice what we know we practice what we believe. This word means you believe something in your heart that you so strongly that you're willing to stake your life on it. You turn knowledge in to action. In the same way that Christ died for us, you've got to believe in your heart that at that moment that you give your life to Him, the old you died with him. You say the old you. The old you that self-doubts. The old you that returns to old habits. The scripture says as the dog returns to the vomit. The old you that stumbles. The old you that can't walk away from. That's dead. And what's been made alive is the ability to say yes to God if I'm dead to sin why am I still tempted because I'm not saying that sin is again sin is dead to you 
I'm saying you are dead to sin. So, I receive victory with my mind. Do you understand that's why it's important to be in Bible study? Do you understand that's why it's important to have a daily reading of the Word, to be in a life group to where you can work out the Scripture together, to, to work out our salvation, to work out our faith, to understand and work out what we believe. I want to be in Bible study by myself, because thus saith the Lord. I want to be in Bible study with other believers so I can learn how to apply it in community. I want to be in group Bible study so that we magnify our influence as such as a sermon. We magnify our influence. We come together and we say, God said it. I believe it. It is settled. We achieve victory by will. Go with me to verses 13 and 14. Starting 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do you see? Do not let means that there's a choice there. It means that through Christ and the work that He's done in you, that you have a choice to make. Are you going to continually, continuously turn and return to sin? Or are you going to now make up your mind to walk away from sin? Are you going to walk away from the things that entangle you? And understand me, ladies and gentlemen, what entangles you may not entangle the person that's sitting in the section next to you. We've got to be aware, know ourselves. We've got to know what trips us up. And we've got to avoid those things. But he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but you are under grace. You see, here's a fact that's true for all of us. When you know something is true and you believe something is true, you will act like it's true. If I know it and I believe it, I'll act on it. As in, I will receive the check, I'll believe that there's funds in the bank for the check, and I will take the action and go to the bank and either cash or deposit the check. The same thing is true in my life with Christ. I believe that Jesus died on that cross. I believe that the purpose of Him dying on that cross was so that I could have a relationship with God, victory over sin, and a full and abundant life here on earth. But if all I do is believe it, accept that it's in there, and say, yes, I can turn to where it says it, if I don't go from receiving it to believing it, I'm not going to change the way I live. True story, not so proud of it. Um, when I was five years old, my grandfather, I've told you all this story, started me on smokeless tobacco. And you were like the cool grandson if you could chew and not throw up while watching wrestling on Saturday afternoon. I was determined I would not throw up. Or if I did, he wouldn't see it. It started a habit that lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted. I can remember the first time that I believed that God convicted me of it. I was sitting in a Sunday school class with young men at First Baptist Church, Dawson. I would have been about 15 years old. And the person that was teaching the discipleship class 
said, can you think of one thing that God's convicted you of? And it was like way too quick that God brought this to my mind. But continue to make excuses. All the way up to the point that I've told you Gail found it and Gail said, that's got to stop. There's two problems here. Number one, you're still doing it. Number two, you've been hiding it from me. She equated that with a lie. I equated it with you just don't know it won't hurt you. <laughs> um, however, in her persuasive manner, it became very apparent it was a lie. There was a season in my life that I did not go into a convenience store at all. Because I knew if I went into the convenience store, I would purchase what God had told me to walk away from. And Gail had said, you're not going to kiss me again if you keep doing this. I'm grateful to God he used the kiss part because it made sense. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. It really did. But I could not walk in there because if I did, I was presenting myself, my members, to sin. Now I can go and it's not a problem. But there was a day that it just didn't happen. What Paul is saying to us is this. That by the work of Christ on the cross at Calvary, you have been given the ability to overcome sin. You are dead to sin. But sin is still out there. It's still active. It's still moving. It's, and Satan is still alive and he has power. And what you've got to do is spend time alone with God and say, God, what are the things in my life that are not pleasing to you? God, what are the things in my life that are causing me to continue to fall? Where do I continue to stumble? Why is it here? Why is it here? When God reveals it to you, then you take the action to say that I will no longer present myself to that. You've got to figure out with God what your that is. And then once you figure out the that and you present it to God, He says, by an act of your will, you decide whether you're going to do it or not. God doesn't put you on remote control or Satan puts you on remote control. He gives you a mind. It's free will. Free will is what makes it worship. You see, when I have something in front of me and I can choose this or I can choose God, when I choose God over this, I have worshipped Him and that's when He goes, yes, my people have got it. That's when he is honored. And Jesus says, I came to bring you life. I came to bring light that would open up your eyes so that you could see the things that are causing you to fall and to stumble. And he says, but I also came to empower you to live in liberty. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. You see, before the liberty of Christ, you were in the lineage of Adam. Death, sin, decision. But at that moment that you bow your heart, surrender your will, you die to yourself, you are now in the lineage of Christ. What's the difference? If you're under the law, if you're trying to live under the law, that's where you say, by what I do or by what I do not do, I will be made acceptable to God. Whatever it is, whether I do a lot of it because it's good or whether I don't do it because it's bad. You're saying, by my actions, God will deem me acceptable and he'll be satisfied and surely he wouldn't send me to hell. I love the fact the scripture answered that and said, it said, your righteousness is like filthy rags. 
But you see, when I'm under grace, when I accept the finished work of Christ, when I act on that work of Christ, it says, it is not what I have done, but what Christ did and is doing in me right now. It's by Him that I am made alive. It's saying no to sin. It's saying yes to God. Under the law, no. Under grace, yes. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not just deal with sin. He dealt with the sinner. He dealt with us. He didn't just forgive you. He made you new. He didn't just pardon you. But he wiped your record clean. He gave you the ability to stay out of the jail of sin forever. Throughout history, there have been seasons of disease where areas and towns and villages and regions were devastated. But in all of those regions, there was always somebody that survived. There was the story of they lived among this plague and they didn't get it. Well, they've gone back and they've done some research on the the DNA of those people that lived beyond or defied the odds or, or didn't die. And what they found was that these people, the undertaker that lived to bury all the people or the, or the, the nurse that was in the room uh, cooling off the fever is what I'm trying to say. Oh, there's a word for it. But that person, what was it? And they had a disease-blocking gene. Some get it, some don't. But it allowed them to overcome. Well, I want to tell you this. There is a plague. And it's destroying people right and left and all the time. And the people that don't have the gene, that do not have it in their DNA, they are going to be destroyed. But those that have this thing in them, they will live forever. Jesus. Is the gene. You want him in your DNA. How do you have him in your DNA? The scripture says that everybody. Who confesses with their mouth. That Jesus is Lord. And believes in the heart. That God raised him from the dead. They receive it. They get it. They have it. For those that have it. And have fallen back. And are acting like they don't. The scripture says that. That God is like the father of the prodigal son running to grab them, to greet them, to hug them, to embrace them, to restore them. But it takes a bending of the will, a bowing of the heart, a dying to self. We die to self for life. We die to self for victory in life. Jesus came to bring life. Jesus came to be light. Jesus came to give liberty to set the captives free. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have lived on earth through Christ. 
thank you that through Christ you lived without sin. That, that by, via Christ you died on the cross and you shed your blood. And you overcame. And the sacrifice and the penalty and the price and the power of sin was no longer. Father, I pray that this day in this room. Whether it be for the first time when we call on you to be saved. Or the 10,000th time when we call on you for forgiveness. God, I pray that we would receive. That we would believe and by an act of the will. That we would stand up and say. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to live for him. God, that you would give us the wisdom to recognize the sin that entangles us. The, the courage and the power to walk away from it. So that we do not present our bodies as members of sin. But we surrender to Christ for life. Father, this morning we pray for our church. We have members in our church that are grieving the death of a loved one, of a child, or a spouse, or a father, a mother, today. Lord, we pray that you would be their help in a time of trouble. God, we have members that are in the hospital today that are dealing with disease and sickness. And God, whether they're present or watching on air today, Lord, would you communicate to them that your power and your victory, and would you communicate that their church loves them and that we're praying for them. Lord, we've had church members that have texted and said, I'm caring for a loved one that's sick. Pray for me. And so God, we do that. We believe that because of that death that you died, because of that blood that you shed, because of the fact that we have accepted Christ and the Holy Spirit's within us, that God, we are not separated by anything, but we can bow our heads here and pray for one another. Lord, I pray this morning for those that have been so very close to surrendering to you. God, I pray that this morning, this moment would be the time that we would enjoy the liberty that we have, can have, through Christ. Lord, we thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. As you stand, I want you to know that we're going to be led by our choir. That is our invitation to come here to the front and pray. Um, we'll be standing at the front. Pastor Russell and John will be here. I will be here. We would love to have conversation with you about this new life that you can have in Christ. Don't hesitate. Again, you can come and pray. You can come and speak to us. But you come. You respond. Choir lead us, please. <laughs>